0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: Welcome to the RoadWire Fantasy Baseball Podcast, brought to you by Underdog Fantasy and Fantrax. I'm your host, James Anderson, and this week's guest is or this, today's guest is, is Rob Silver, uh, 2016 NFBC main event overall winner, uh, co-host of the Launch Angle podcast. Rob is my third former main event winner of the off season to, to grace me with his presence. So really appreciate that. Uh, Rob, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. I was excited to do this, James. We had a lot of fun last year. So this, uh, this hopefully we'll live up to last year's pod.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun last year, and uh, I wanted to sort of start with starting pitching kind of near the top in general, just because um, I just kind of wanted to see where the conversation might go, because uh, one of your best calls from last year's pod was kind of equating Justin Verlander to Max Scherzer, and if you if you followed Rob's advice on that one, you've got a uh, SP1 <laughs> in the sixth round or whatever, so... Um, really good, really good stuff. Uh, I, the guy who I keep uh, focusing on at least in the past few weeks has been uh, Carlos Rodon, just because I think it's interesting to me how the market seems to still be pretty skeptical on him relative to recent track record and projections. And I look at a lot of the starting pitchers going in the top 15 and I, don't see a case for why Rodon is more risky than about half of them. And if every projection is saying this guy's a top three starting pitcher and he's still got the ninth ADP in recent DCs among starting pitchers, I'm just kind of curious on your take as to you know why should we be still concerned about Rodon's durability, especially relative to, to some of these other guys? I mean, what's what's the case for not taking Rodon? Um,
2: you know, James, when you send me the outline and I saw the Rodon uh, section, I cursed under my breath because I don't lie on podcasts. I, n- I would never lie just because I like somebody or don't like somebody. And I bet a bunch of people are about to curse, uh, us. So I think there's a pretty clear top four in starting, uh, pitching this year. The two that, uh, everybody thinks are, I think, uh, Burns and Cole are, are uh, one, two, both because of track record as well as, uh, ridiculous skills, despite, despite, uh, home run issues uh, last year. He's still he's still ridiculously good. And then the other two who are not consensus is uh, I have Rodon number three, and I have Strider number four. And I think you can flip them around. I think you can flip all four of those around and make an argument. Depends how much you um, how you want to wait uh, innings. How you like you, you can you can make a case for all four. Um, but I absolutely agree. I think Carlos Rodon is skills wise. Every bit as good as every pitcher, other than Jacob Degrom, who we'll talk about in a second. But he's right there. It's you. You are nitpicking when you're starting to split uh, the differences between him and the other three guys guys on the list. So then it's a volume uh, question, and I uh, agree with the premise, which is: Is there still injury risk with Rodon? That's probably, if we're being honest, a little bit higher elevated than uh, Cole or Burns. Uh, yeah, not certainly not higher than Strider. Um, is it overstated in terms of the projections for innings in the public uh, projections that do love him? I think it probably is assuming he's healthy in spring training, but you can make that caveat for every single uh, starting pitcher. Obviously it's it's dependent on them uh, being healthy. So I absolutely have no problem taking um, Rodon as the third starting pitcher uh, off the list. And I agree with you. So what else do I like about him? I love his context. So people say he was going to Yankee stadium. He's going to the AL East. People, people have it in their mind because of the, you know, the joke that Yankee Stadium is to one side in terms of home runs, that it's a little league park. Statistically, that's not what Yankee Stadium is at all. So I think the AL East doesn't worry me. The home park doesn't uh, worry me. I, as I talked about at First Pitch Arizona, I care about wins these days because when you have almost a third of the teams that are uh, tanking and don't have starting pitchers that are going uh, deep into games, I care deeply about uh, pitcher wins and the Yankees are a team, one of a handful of teams that really let their starters go deep into games and have a decent bullpen. So the context for him is great. And he showed last year in terms of he has the ability to pitch into games. He had more innings pitched per start than Woodruff, than Urias, than Gaussman. Um, Part of that is a virtuous cycle. If you're a good pitcher, you're going to pitch deeper into games because you're giving up less base runners. Even if you're striking out a lot of guys, It's it's – getting blown up. It's giving up runs that cause pitches uh, and pitchers not to go deep into games. So I love the context uh, for him. So yeah, I'm all in on Rodon and what we probably just screwed that up. And we're like three and a half minutes into the podcast. So I've already screwed him up for a whole bunch of people uh, who probably liked him going into March, not to be, not to think we're moving ADP here, but I, I, my guess is uh, some people are going to take a second look at him as compared to some of those other uh, top starting pitchers.
1: I don't care. I, I don't care if his price goes up. I don't want, I'm sick of people still getting them at the end of the third round in these DCs that I'm in. So um, <laughs> I'd be okay with the price going up on him. Uh, I think I saw, I, I forget, I wish I could give credit. I think I saw the Yankees also have the uh, easiest projected schedule in the AL East. Um, they don't have to I, play themselves. Right. Uh, exactly. And uh, yeah, I agree with everything you said. Uh, I, Honestly, to me, I, like Rodon versus Burns is kind of a coin flip. So I'm just I'm yeah. not going to end up with any Corbin Burns based on that, and unless they're both just going at the same place in March. Um, so yeah, all right, we're we're on the same page with Carlos Rodon. Uh You mentioned Jacob deGrom. Uh I was basically just going to ask you, like, like I, I think he's either going to go top 10 in the March drafts that we do in Vegas, or he's going to go outside the top two rounds, kind of depending on his most recent spring performance. Um, I mean, that's maybe the end of the analysis, but did you have anything you wanted to, to add with DeGrom?
2: We are all junkies, James, and Jacob DeGrom is the little baggy being waved <laughs> in front of us. There is no scenario. like It's, it's like early uh, Noah Syndergaard. There's no scenario he shows up at Rangers spring training and doesn't look awesome. Like, unless he has an injury before his first bullpen, it's Jacob DeGrom. Like, that's what he does is he looks awesome. And his fastball in that first spring training game with, like, a and 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 a radar gun is going to be awesome. Like, there's no scenario it's not awesome. So I think, like, as a community, we can't resist him. But that's, as we both, like, why why did a dummy use $100 of fab in the Platinum League last year to get a draft spot so he could take Jacob deGrom, like, fifth overall? The dummy, just to be clear, is me. Because because I couldn't resist. He looks so good. And you run the numbers with a healthy Jacob deGrom. He's not just the best pitcher. He's the best player in fantasy. Like if Jacob DeGrom makes 32 starts, he is the number one player in fantasy. And people miss that. They say, oh, I, everybody says. And I know it's uh, people who listen, have been listening to 100 podcasts since uh, November roll their eyes at this. He's the best pitcher per inning, but he can't stay healthy. He's not the best pitcher. He's the best player in fantasy if he stays healthy. But what are the statistical odds he makes thirty-two starts? I have no idea what it is. It's um, it's low. Um, so then you start running projections based on one hundred and twenty innings, a hundred innings, eighty innings, and he's still worth something. But he's he's there's a lot of risk there compared to what the alternative is. So like, give me Carlos Redon over Jacob Degrom pretty easily, regardless of what he did in spring. That being said, I'm a human. Like you, you give me that baggy, I may not be able to resist him. Um, Come time we're in Vegas in in March. Like I'm just being honest with myself.
1: Well, and the reason,
2: uh, especially
1: in the the main event, uh, you know, something with an overall prize, you know, a lot of people that have money to to kind of throw around on these contests. It's just to try to win the main event overall, right? Like a lot of a lot of people yeah. have won their share of main event leagues, and so they look at the Grom as sort of this uh, this piece that could lead to them being the overall champion
2: um yeah and i heard i heard uh phil duceau and uh and jeff zimmerman talking about this in hour. i think it was hour six or hour seven <laughs> of their appearance on, uh, on Rob I, I that uh, uh, uh nobody really did but i claimed that i did i got i got a so i got an intern to write me a summary and the point is if you go back and look at actual main event winners uh they don't take big risks in the first 10 rounds it's the greatest it's the number one myth and i agree i think it was jeff who said this and phil agreed the so number one uh, myth of how to win an overall is that you have that it's like a GPP uh, in DFS. So you have to take these crazy risks. So you have crazy variants. So you want Byron Buxton, you want Jacob DeGrom, because boy, if it hits, that's how I'm going to win. And first off, like taking one or two of those risks, fine, fair enough. If you take multiple risks, because I need to load up on that, the probability of all of them hitting is very low. And then you, you know, you've You've cut off your leg to save your arm. You haven't really moved the ball forward. But really, you want to be hitting solid doubles, maybe the odd triple with those early picks. So, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that's the right approach, even in uh, a contest with an overall. That being said, somebody's taking Jacob DeBrom early in every single draft. So, like, it, it it's not a bad pick. It's just, again, I am the guy who used real fab to get, uh, get him last year. So uh, what the hell do I know?
1: What do you, I apologize to to everyone for even putting the DeGrom thing in the outline. I mean, I feel like, uh, everyone's probably just nodding along. Like, yeah, duh. Like only a sucker takes DeGrom high. Um, but I do, I do, I just know he's going to go super high and I won't be able to
2: resist. I'm with with you.
1: I I haven't taken DeGrom since 2019. Um, but I, yeah, he's going to go first round in in, uh, my main event drafts, and that'll be that. Um, What, what do you think people are – like I, I've talked a lot about the the starting pitcher pool, especially sort of the top of the wow. – you know, the top 25 or so guys, um, and sort of the the theme all offseason basically has been, you know, whoever your favorite pitcher who goes outside the top 30 is, you're getting them at a perceived value in drafts currently. Uh, and so that is sort of the argument for – basically – Carlos Rodon and Corbin Burns is the argument for not taking Burns, right? Like Because you can get right. Carlos Rodon 20 picks later in a lot of drafts.
2: So I, I, I think everybody is – I shouldn't say everybody because maybe other people who agree with me entirely. Uh, I think there's, uh, there's a big misnomer that's been made. Pitching is super deep. Uh, you don't need to reach for the top guys. Top guys are not as uh, dominant as they are in typical years. So you certainly should be pounding, hitting early. And then start going starting pitching because it just extends deeper and deeper into the draft so you can afford to wait on starting pitchers first off so when i look at my projections right now and look at the sgps and for people who have no idea what sgp means it's just a, a, a math way to look at how much every player is projected or when you look at real statistic it does in fact move you up or down in the standings so it's just a way to take statistics and translate it into a number, whether it's dollars or SGPs uh, to compare players. So when I look at the SGPs for the number one starting pitcher that I have in my projections, so Garrett Cole, uh, the gap between him and the 10th starting pitcher, so Kevin Gaussman for me, but it doesn't really matter who the guy is, is the same as the gap between the 10th starting pitcher and the 32nd starting pitcher, which which is one, another way of saying the top guy is just as dominant as, as is typical. That's not very different. Um, from previous years, there's this perception that you can just find starting pitching. It's just not true. Last year, 24 starting pitchers had a 25% or better strikeout rate in 130 more innings. There's one thing in common, James, with all 24 of those starting pitchers it's not their, their like swinging strike weight rate, it's not like the, the, the spin rate on their fastball. The only thing that I could find that all 24 of those starting pitchers had in common, they were all projected by steamer. And it's not just Steamer steamers, the projections that I had um, handy for a 24 percent or better strikeout rate. Meaning if you weren't projected for a 24 percent or better strikeout rate, there was no chance you were getting a 25 percent or better strikeout rate uh, last year. Uh, not a single sleeper, up to 25 percent. There's nobody who came out of nowhere last year to strike out 25 percent of the guys go the next tier down. 24 uh, starting pitchers last year had between a 22 and a 24% strikeout rate. Of those 24 uh, starting pitchers, 23 of the 24 were projected for over a 20% uh, strikeout rate. So as a group, they were projected for a 23.5% strikeout rate. Uh, they got a 22.5% strikeout rate. You know, the one sleeper was who snuck out into the top 48 uh, starting pitchers uh, in strikeout rate it was Merrill Kelly, now, we, we all know Merrill Kelly had a good sprint training, blah, 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 blah. That's the sleeper starting pitcher last year to get into basically the top 50 starting pitchers in strikeout rate. So if you think it's easy to just find guys out of anywhere, it's like it's not easy. But the third point I'd make is we all go into drafts with a list, especially come March, of 10, 15, 20 starting pitchers. We want to get late after the 15th round in the 200s, maybe in the 300s. Here's the problem. We're all too darn smart. And we all go into drafts with the exact same 15 to 20 lists. list. My list, your list, guy next to you in the drafts uh, list, and the the woman sitting next to him have basically the same guys that we're going to fill out our pitching staff by. It's a long way of saying, like, I think you need to pay for pitching. This notion that you can piece it together for free because it's so deep and it's everywhere, um, I don't think that's true. And I hope a lot of people stick with that because I don't think it's going to work out well for them. I think – you can maybe wait a round extra to get your SP1 this year uh, than in previous years. First off, wait until March because starting pitchers in the NFBC always have helium going into March because closers start uh, coming down because you can fab saves. Uh, and number two, so what? So you've waited an extra round for your SP1. I don't think that really shifts things as much as people seem to be talking about Um I'm shifting things, anyways. I've, it's been a long time since I did a podcast. Chance that's. I had this. I had this rant through the winter inside of me, and I appreciate you letting me uh, get this long rant out. I don't know if uh, if you agree with it, but uh, but there it is.
1: Well, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't really disagree with any of your points. Um, the way I've, what I sort of am referencing in terms of the depth is kind of what you touched on at the end there, where. I think you can get a better, and I even believe this in March, I think you'll be able to get better starting pitchers in the third round than you could last year and better starting pitchers in the fourth round than you could last year and better starting pitchers in the fifth round than you could last year um, on the whole. Um, And that would be sort of, to me, that might lead to me not taking a starting pitcher until the fourth round, um, which I rarely have done in high money leagues in the past. Um, do you take any issue with that?
2: Um, the only, th- first off, I think the gap, as I said, at, the, at point one, I think the gap between the top starting pitchers and the 10th, 12th, 15th starting pitchers is a steeper gap than you think it is. Well, uh, number number two, just to, just to finish uh, my points is if I took Garrett Cole in the first, let's say at the fifteen, sixteen 16 turn um, for argument, um, and, and by main, I probably wouldn't be getting in there. But Let's say I still get uh, Cole or Burns or Lodon, frankly, uh, at the 15-16. The assumption you have today is that I'm not taking my second starting pitcher before that already. So it's all relative to your league. So you can still put together a, a fine staff. Uh, there's no doubt. You, don't, you never have needed. Uh, like Toby didn't decide the rule for everybody. You can, of course, you could always have had a fine winning pitching staff with your first starting pitcher coming in the fifth or sixth round. Uh, Cause then the question is, who's your fifth starting pitcher. If your fifth starting pitcher is way better than everybody else's fifth starting pitcher. So you took five starting pitchers between round six and round 12 and four of those five hit and stay healthy. Of course you can have a great pitching staff that way. It's um, I think what's still hard and, and I'll let you respond because maybe I'm doing a you know a straw man of what you're actually saying Um I think the idea that you just don't need to use the same draft capital through the entirety of the draft on pitching as you've always had to is wrong. I think you can allocate it. Maybe this is your point a little bit differently between rounds uh, to how you did. I think that's always been true to a certain extent. It's where are you comfortable and how are you going to piece things together? because There's obviously trade-offs, whatever you do.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's all right. And, uh, and I totally... Like whoever, like like Garrett Cole is also my SP one, and whoever my SP ten is, there is a big gap. But I think, I think more people are able to get their personal SP five higher than in past years.
2: That's fair, fair, fair. You the, the other thing I should say, James, is you've done a lot of drafts. I've done zero drafts. So you may you you, you have you are more informed on this than I am because I'm just looking at how things are unfolding.
1: But you are right about, um, you know, like, I think I, I love like where Zach Gallon's going and I love where, um, Luis Castillo are going, but those guys aren't going to be going there, obviously.
2: Not, not even close. So, not even close.
1: um, but in my online championship draft I'm doing tonight, they will be going, um, uh, yes. later than I think they should. So, yeah. Sure. Uh, okay. Uh, We're going to head to a message from our sponsors, and then we're going to come back and Rob and I are going to compare where some players are going in drafts versus where some projection systems say they should be going and and see whether we side with the projections or the, the public.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: The fantasy baseball season is underway, and there's no better place to play than Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy baseball. Right now, Underdog has MLB best ball tournaments live, including the Dinger, which has a 500k total prizes. In best ball, all you do is join a contest, draft your team, and that's it. There are no waivers, no trades, and no in-season management. Draft 20 rounds of players and get the best cumulative scores in your starting lineup. Three pitchers, three infielders, three outfielders, and one flex each week of the regular season. Getting started is simple. Go to underdogfantasy.com, sign up with the promo code RWMLB, and not only will Underdog double your initial deposit up to $100, but you'll also get six months of our RotoWire subscription for free. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy promo code RWMLB. Draft your 100K Dinger team today. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. Fantrax can import your current leagues and customize if needed. Fantrax has the most in-depth player pool, uh, especially relevant in dynasty leagues. You don't have to have the commissioner put in like a placeholder prospect that you want to add. All the prospects are in there. Uh, We use Fantrax for the Highlander Dynasty Invitational, which is great because that's an open universe league. All those guys are already in the player pool. Uh, They have advanced stats that you can use to sort free agents with. You can filter out prospects or or just filter out big leaguers in your search uh, for the best FAB experience out there. Uh, I strongly recommend uh, Fantrax for any Dynasty and Keeper leagues. Um, it's just, it's the best, it's the best site out there for those formats. Uh, sign up for free today and be entered to win an official MLB jersey signed by Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Simply go to fantrax.com slash rotawire and sign up today. That's fantra dot com slash rotawire. Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. All right. Um, we're back. So. Rob, you and I, uh, I think I, uh, we, we talked uh, briefly about Adley Rutschman when we were out in uh, uh, first pitch Arizona and he's, he's very interesting to me um, since the, all the projection systems have come out. Um, you know, I, I usually expect uh, projection systems to be uh, lower on players like Rutschman who are, you know, young and, and less proven. But, um, But I was a little surprised at just sort of how much lower they are than I am on him, or at least I was on him before all the projections came out. Uh, He just, everything I'm kind of looking for in in a player who's about to take a a massive step forward, like I see all of it with Rutschman, Uh, he was, he led all catcher eligible players with 250 plate appearances from August 1st on. Uh, and would have actually ranked sixth um, tied with Jeff McNeil and Mookie Betts among outfield eligible players in plate appearances from August 1st on. Uh, but, you know, he scored 70 runs last year, and there are projection systems that don't even think he'll get to 70 runs this year in a full season. Um, you know, no, no, none of the Fangraphs' projection systems have him getting to 20 homers. Every Fangraphs' projection system, other than Zips, has him hitting under 260 uh, so I say all that to ask you if you are closer to the market on Adley Rutschman, um, who's currently going fourth among catchers, or are you closer to the projections? And every projection system would tell you just wait a couple rounds and take Wilson Contreras, Alejandro Kirk, or Sean Murphy, rather than taking Adley where you need to take him in drafts.
2: So if you take the projection systems and give Rutschman a um, Buster Posey's peak playing time. So Buster Posey, it's it's a good analogy, right? Like a really good catcher, key to the team, important to the pitching staff. Like I think it's even even if they're slightly different players, I don't think it you don't. I didn't want to take Sal Perez because he's such an outlier in terms of like driving him into the ground. Obviously, Buster Posey didn't have the DH. So maybe it's even a little bit conservative, but go with me. So if I take the projections, aggregate them him Buster Posey's peak season of 623 plate appearances, he comes out as catcher four. So like you've done that and he's exactly where the market is. Now, that's a really stupid way to draft, assuming that he's exactly the same as the busiest season of a Hall of Fame catcher in his second year. So then the question I ask is, so which of the categories is he most likely to overachieve the projections on? Put away, put aside stolen bases because I don't think it's stolen bases, uh, even with the, the rule change. I think that's safe. Um, I think I kind of agree with you. I think the easiest one for him to do um, is runs and RBIs. Like they have him averaging a, basically a run and plus RBI per game, which is what he had last year. But I think it's not unreasonable to add, call it ten runs, ten RBIs, kind of thing, and that will push him up pretty quickly uh, in terms of rankings. I think the reason to like him is not so much that he has this massive breakout season. It's the immense floor that he gives you at catcher. Like it's hard to pick a player other than rail Muto, maybe um, in the catcher uh, position who from a uh, reliability health and just, they are going to keep him on the field almost every game one way uh, or another than Rutschman. And I think that the market whether I'll ultimately pay the price or not, we'll see. But I think the market is not wrong to say there's a chance of him exceeding the, the projections, but really I like that floor catcher. If I'm paying for a premium catcher position and I'm not getting one of the speed catchers, um, then I just love what, what, what a Will Smith or what a, what a Rutschman do for me in terms of just plug it, forget it, and I can kind of count that that's coming. Um, so I, I think that's the argument for him.
1: Great, yeah, that's that's uh, that's my argument for him as well, and I I like that you kind of um, agree with me to some extent there. I, I do think he would probably be my pick uh, to lead all catchers and runs scored, um, which you know I I that would be quite the feat for a guy in his first uh, his true first kind of full big league season. Um, and I, I do think the, you know, I, I don't think he's going to steal double-digit bases, but um, I sort of have a, I think there's going to be more than just the varsho Muto catchers stealing significant bases this year. I, I, I could see a case for Melendez getting close to double-digit steals, and I could also see Rutschman getting six or seven steals, which is which is not nothing. Um, no
2: doubt, six six steals from your catcher is a big deal. Uh, like that's five, a five five six stolen base gap between everybody else's catcher one, so that's uh, that helps a ton on his value.
1: This is a uh, sort of related to this, but uh, just quickly, like what? How do you feel as like a Blue Jays fan um, now that sort of all the the dust is kind of settled on that catcher uh, trio and. Uh, now you've got a you got Dalton Varsho as, as sort of a key piece going forward. How do how do you think that all shook out for for your Blue Jays? Oh, uh,
2: I'm I'm uh, I'm thrilled. Like I I I don't I'm huge on on Varsho for this year. I think he's going to be awesome for the Jays uh, in real baseball and fantasy. Um, I think uh, so. I'm I'm thrilled. I think the Danny Jansen uh, Alejandro Kirk uh, combo may be frustrating at times for fantasy owners because the the thing that will kill people is if both of them are good. You're going to want both of them to play every day and you're not going to get them playing every day. I think the Jays are quite happy uh, to have both of them playing like 60 percent of the time. Uh, Both of them basically catching half the time and Kirk DHing, you know, a quarter of the games. Jansen, the odd uh, DH game, uh, if he's hitting as well as uh, I think he may be hitting. And people will be screaming like, "Why isn't? Why aren't both of them playing every single day?" And they just won't. So it may be a bit frustrating fantasy wise. But as a Jays fan, I I, uh, uh, I was getting worried. But uh, but I think they cashed in the the Marino chip the uh, best they possibly could the way that just the baseball industry values guys uh, these days. Have
1: you talked to, Vlad Sedler at all about uh, his guy Brandon Belt?
2: Um, there, there have been words exchanged on the, uh, the text on the subject. Look, I think I think Belt will be a very useful uh, piece of the Jays as long as he's healthy. Um, I think if I'm in a D.C. Uh, draft, having Belt on my bench as cheap as he's going so I can put him in when they have the right weekly schedule and he's healthy is great. I think that he's pretty much undraftable in fab leagues. Cause I just don't think he's going to play enough. There may be weeks where you're streaming him in or not out. So I could easily see a Brandon belt being picked up. I'd set the, the over under in, let's say the main event on times Brandon Belt will oh, be yeah. dropped and picked up in the average league at like 10 and a half uh, uh, times picked up. And that's amazing. And that's useful. And that's like not nothing but that's different from going into a draft saying I'm drafting Brandon belt and I'm writing in pen, the 28 home runs I'm getting for him. I don't think the Jays, I don't think Brandon belt wants to play that much. Like that's just not what what's being set up here, but from a real baseball perspective, I love having Brandon belt for when he's healthy. I think he's a great, useful tool and and player for that, for that lineup uh, as long as he's healthy.
1: Okay. So we talked some Jays. Uh, Now let's talk about uh, stay in that division. Uh, do you think we should care much at all about Masataka Yoshida's projections and/or the fact that the Red Sox gave him that much money? Because so, I don't, I don't really think we should care. But I'm interested in your. your
2: so it, it, he is one of the weirdest players uh, and toughest players for me to get my head around. Uh, if you take his like again his average of his projections but it really doesn't matter which there's no it's it's not like Derek Cardi's low on him it's not like there's nobody who's low uh on him he was a top 25 hitter if he does that uh this year what he like if he did that last year he would have been a tw- top 25 real baseball uh hitter um and yet all we heard when they signed him the Red Sox for five years 90 million dollars was um that they overpaid uh like that I, I pulled the quote clo- uh, quote from uh, Kylie McDaniel, who obviously has great uh, sources with uh, Major Mm -hmm. League Baseball teams. Uh, And he said, all 10 sources he talked to thought the Red Sox overpaid by a hefty margin. One executive went so far as to say, we thought he was worth less than half what they paid. So there's obviously a massive disconnect uh, here between what the Red Sox thought they bought, what the projections all of them think they bought and what apparently every other team in baseball thought they bought. So what are the scenarios? One, the Red Sox and the projections are right and everyone else is wrong. That's possible. Um, the Red Sox and the projections are right and everyone else is bitter. And like we're, we're spitting Kylie McDaniel because they wanted to get him for five years, $75 million. Or the Red Sox and the projections are wrong. The one thing that makes no sense to me about the public projections, though, and this is the dilemma, is on the one hand they think he's like literally a top twenty-five hitter in baseball, and on the other hand they're super conservative on playing time. If you buy the projections, and and he's hitting leadoff because, like, a I think they they have said he is our leadoff hitter, and number two, if he's as good as. Uh, Uh, the projections think he is, he's definitely, if not leading off, hitting second or or third endeavors, like whatever, He's top. And as long as he's healthy and he hits his projections, he's a 650 plate appearances guy. So what's weird is, as incredible as the projections are, they're understated because if you buy the rates, you have to boost the projections. And if you start giving him 650 plate appearances, he's the best buy in fantasy. Now, I don't believe that's true, but you can't both say he's awesome and he's getting 500 plate appearances unless you think he gets hurt. Um, so it's weird to me. I don't know what the hell th- – what are you doing with him, James? Well,
1: I, I mean, that's that's why I brought him up is because it's – if he just does what the projections say, like you said, he's just an amazing value right now. And everyone who drafts him can turn around and say, what were you guys all doing? Like it was right there in the projections. Um so I I just, to me, kind of thinking about it, um, thinking about the, the caliber or the type of, not even the caliber, but the type of pitching that he's used to versus the type of pitching he'll be facing, uh, I just think there's going to be some sort of adjustment period, even if it's just, um, you know, maybe he only hits 10 homers this year. And then as he gets more accustomed to big league pitching, he's more of a 15 to 20 homer guy. Um, But I, I just, I don't know, man. I, I, if it had been, and it's, it's almost sort of the opposite of an appeal to authority because if it had been a team that I thought was smart, that gave him that exact contract, I would be like, yeah, the projections are probably right on this
2: guy. <laughs> yeah, if he's if he's on the if he's on if he's on the Dodgers right now, then yeah. we're all saying like, oh my gosh, the Dodgers have done it again. That was their big offseason acquisition, and somehow they have another, you know, Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, and 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 look, they have a third like superstar on their team. Yeah. Um, uh, the I mean, only thing I'd say is his cost, if it stays where it is right now, is cheap enough. Mm-hmm. Like the projections can be quite wrong. And he's still a pretty good just volume play who's kind of filling up the stat. Uh, he doesn't need to hit his projections to be worth his current cost.
1: Yeah. And, and his current cost uh, just to reference it now is a 52nd outfielder off the board in the 27 NFBC draft champions since the bad X was released on January 12th. And uh, he's going behind Whit Merrifield. He's going behind Joey Manessis. He's going behind multiple Oakland A's hitters,
2: you don't want to take anybody after the Oakland A's hitters, James. So one, that's that's like the new Mendoza line in fantasy. If an Oakland player has been picked, you've already missed you've missed the boat at this right. point.
1: Once the Oakland hitters start getting picked, you it's too late. It's too wrong. late. Yep. <laughs> that's exactly. It should be called the Oakland line. Yeah, exactly. In, in ADP. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so. I was really surprised to see this. Uh, I knew I knew where Lucas Giolito was getting drafted, um, but I the range is crazy. He's gone between pick one thirty five and one sixty, so twenty five pick range in twenty seven draft champions, uh, which is a very narrow range for a player who I view as very volatile, uh, and the market's actually significantly higher on Giolito than every projection system, so. A, what do you make of Giolito heading into this season? And uh, I know you sort of addressed this on Twitter, but I'm going to make you say it on the pod anyway. Uh, and then B, if you draft him in the ninth or 10th round, are you starting him week one against the Astros?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So what I tweeted uh, was Lucas Giolito, there there are some pitchers who, who, who are. Very linear in terms of the correlation between their velocity and their success. And ERA is a lazy, misleading stats, and you shouldn't use ERA to, for forward-looking, but it does it's descriptive in terms of what actually happened. In, since 2019, the start of the 2019 season, in games where Lucas Giolito's fastball has averaged less than 93 miles an hour, and he's had lots of games most of last season, where his fastball averaged less than 93 miles an hour, he had a 4.78 ERA. When his fastball was in the 93s, so between 93 and 94, 3.9 ERA. So pretty good, but league average-ish. When his fastball was 94 or better, 3.52 ERA, very good. That's what you think of when you think of good Lucas Giolito. And 95 or better, a 2.4 ERA. Uh, Jeff Zirvin, uh tweeted out the swing strike rates for his slider, and it was almost exactly the same, you know. Slow slider, medium slider, fast slider, crappy swinging strike rate, pretty good street swinging strike rate, uh, great swing strike rate. And the problem is, so the answer for most players would be, okay, so we'll see in spring training, we'll, we'll get numbers because there's enough uh, Arizona uh, parks that have stat casts, we'll have good numbers on Giolito, and therefore you'll have sense. Are you getting good Lucas Giolito are you getting bad Lucas Giolito? We'll all adjust. The problem, of course, was the reason why so many of us got sucked in last spring training by Lucas Giolito. Casey Chaw took him in the second round of every single draft <laughs> he was in, basically, poor Casey. was He was hitting 97. He came to spring training last year as just this horse Lucas Giolito, and he was killing it, and then it was gone. And you can say, well, but he got injured. There was an oblique injury or something, and like so that's where the velocity went, and that's why he was so, like, he was basically unrosterable for most of last season, but it was the the worst case scenario, right? It's Lucas Giolito. I can't just cook, cook, uh, drop him. And his strikeout rate numbers are bad, but they're not that bad. So I have, I have to keep holding him. I have to keep holding him. And it never really got any better. There were glimpses at times of it getting better, but it, for the most part was pretty crappy. So the problem is I will be skeptical even if he shows up in spring training and is you know, sitting 95. He was hitting 97. He wasn't hit, uh, sitting 97. But even if he's sitting 95 in spring training. I just don't know that he can hold it for six months. Um, But I don't think it's a bad bet where he's going, um, that he will be able to hold it. So it is a true risk uh, when you buy Lucas Giolito. And I think unlike, you know, a first or second round uh, risk in the ninth, 10th round, you could be getting an S a borderline SP one uh, there if he it can both uh, get back to where he needs to be velocity wise and hold it for at least most of six months. The problem is there are a whole bunch of starting pitchers going just before and just after Lucas Giolito, who were at least 90% to my mind of Lucas Giolito. Maybe not quite the ceiling of Lucas Giolito, but pretty darn close to Lucas Giolito. Like, what's the difference between Charlie Morton and Lucas Giolito if you assume both of them stay healthy for six months? They're pretty close. Like, is it, will I acknowledge Lucas Giolito's ceiling is higher than Charlie Morton at this point? Career's ceiling, yeah, probably. But their fiftieth percentile is like actually, their their fiftieth percentile. Charlie Morton is better. Um, but but you know what I'm saying, like, and I'm getting a bit of a discount, and I kind of have more faith in Charlie Morton than I do Lucas Giolito. I just picked him out at random, like mm-hmm. Pablo Lopez injury risk too, but so is Lucas Giolito. Like he's going after Lucas Giolito. I love uh, Drew Rasmussen, Jeffrey Springs. Like there, these are a lot of starting pitchers going right after him, who are pretty good and so i'm not sure i'll take the risk on lucas giolito being good because i know what bad lucas giolito is uh last year he was unusable
1: yeah and and i had giolito in a a couple leagues last year and uh i mean the the key was to just sort of cut your cut your losses (laughs) sooner than later and he (laughs) didn't he he didn't kill you if you did that um because you can you can still kind of make that up, but he also probably prevented you from getting super high level outcomes, especially in anything with an overall. Uh, I just was sort of thinking about it as like, I draft Lucas Giolito. What he does in those first three or four starts, it's gonna start playing head games. unless it just goes great, it's gonna start playing head games with you because he play he has the Astros, the first lineup period. Then he has uh Pittsburgh, and so you might think, well, I'll sit him against the Astros and then i'll I'll plug him in against the pirates um and then it'll be off to the races from there but then what if what if like the pirates get to him in that second start? Are you just benching him no matter who he's facing in that third start and so i I just think it's uh it's gonna be a volatile type of pick where. You should at least sort of think about how you would react as the person that drafts him if he gets off to a slow start, and whether you want to even deal with that. Uh, I, I, I don't
2: think it's an unreasonable rule, James, uh, to say if I will not use a starting pitcher in the first week because of his matchup, I shouldn't take him in the first ten rounds. Maybe with an asterisk, unless he's going to Colorado. Sure. But even then, I don't. I, I think it's a pretty good like litmus test. How much faith do you have? Uh, In him, if your answer is I cannot start him against Houston and like sleep that week, so I have to bench him against Houston, um, then I think your answer should be if I'm giving you free advice, which is, uh, uh, unless you're one of uh, your advertisers, what you've paid for this podcast, uh, I I, then I think that the the answer is take one of the other starting pitchers or somebody else uh, around him. If you think, yeah, no, I have enough faith in him that I'll start him against Houston and see how it goes. Then, then the value uh, could be there and it could be tremendous. Like, look, if he goes uh, seven innings, strikes out 10 and gives up one run against Houston, you're waking up for week two saying, I probably just drafted an SP1, SP2 in the 10th round. That's how overall uh, main events are won. It's not taking Jacob deGrom in the first round. It's getting Lucas Jolito in the 10th round and he returns first round value. Like that's how you win the main overall. Yeah, that's a... Uh... Now, personally, I would not start him against Houston, so I'm not, I'm probably not taking him. So that's just me. Would you start Lance Lynn against Houston? Um, if I drafted Lance Lynn, I would.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, Lance Lynn's going a little bit of, like half a round ahead of Giolito. Yeah. Um, and I would take Lance Lynn over Giolito.
2: Um, Lance Lynn finished the year really strong, too. Like Lance Lynn had a great second half. He was back to being um, a pretty, uh, pretty good, solid pitcher.
1: Okay. So uh, – I wanted to ask you about Yandy Diaz. Um, <laughs> Yandy Diaz and part of the reason why I wanted to ask you about it. I was just sort of thinking the other day, kind of what is, is there a, is there a 7% chance Yandy Diaz shows up this year with an idea of how to get the ball in the air? And then if he does that, then what's his ceiling? Um, but kind of, there's such a gap between the projection systems and the ADP that it's almost more, he doesn't even need to make an adjustment to be a good pick where he's going. 25th third baseman off the board in recent DCs uh, projected as a top 13 third baseman by bad X, ATC and steamer. Uh, so I guess just simply are the projections too high or is the public too low, or is it just a more kind of, Boring answer if it's somewhere in the middle.
2: All, yeah, all of the above. I mean, let's look at Yandy Diaz. Like he doesn't run. I don't think that's going to change. No. Um, he has never ever hit home runs. Like this isn't a two year. Like I'm. I keep banging the ball into the ground. He has over the last twelve years, four thousand eight hundred and twenty plate appearances. That's from like Cuban League baseball uh, to to the majors in 4820 plate appearances that which is a lot like that's a decent sample size including like Cuba 72 home runs that works out to 9 home runs per 600 plate appearances with a career high of the 14 he hit uh, 2 years ago in Tampa but but James me using 600 plate appearances for Yandy Diaz that's absurd he's never hit 600 plate appearances the highest he's ever got is 558 last year, okay. which sure feels like his ceiling in Tampa, just the way they use things. And, and to be clear, Yandy Diaz is a really good, real baseball player. So, it's like, they're not going to, I think that if he's healthy, like 558, the, 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 the band around that is pretty narrow. But he's not somebody who's getting the rare Tampa exception of getting to 650. Like so 550 is his mm-hmm. maximum. So the argument for him being way better is two things. Like stat cast. Yes, mm-hmm. stat cast. He's awesome. If, if, if for your stat cast league, he's awesome. Like if, if that's if that if you hit it, if you're playing in a league where barrels are a category, he's awesome. <laughs> and two that he changes that finally in his 13th year, he becomes somebody he isn't. And there are small signs. And I know the, the Yandy stands or how, whatever we call the, the Yandy bros, like the people who are true believers in Yandy Diaz, and they're out there, um, believe like he's on the verge of a breakout. Uh, I'm not sure I see that. But as you suggested, like for his cost, you really don't need him to do anything approaching a breakout. Like he just needs to keep doing what he's doing and he's a tremendous buy for people who approach drafts as, like, well, think about it as an auction. Um, I spent three dollars on him. He returns seven dollars. I just made a four dollar uh, profit. He's not going to earn me $22, but I'm very happy to take $4. If, by definition, if you make, take a $4 profit on every single roster spot, you've just won your league. You've won the overall. Like You've, you've done amazing things. So you just need to get a bunch of Yandy Diaz's who outperform their draft spot, and you can do really well. I get why the market doesn't see that, though. It's hard sometimes, especially in the NFBC, to say this guy gives me no stolen bases, gives me really no home runs. So he's giving me kind of an empty ish batting average with like some counting stats, runs, and RBIs, but I can kind of stream, I can surely stream Andy Diaz uh, together. And maybe you can, but like you also have to draft guys. And it also feels like, sorry, and I'll end that Yandy Diaz isn't that interesting. I don't need to go on for 20 minutes on Yandy Diaz. Uh, it also feels like Yandy Diaz has been on the free agent wire every single year, every single week, which I know isn't true. But it just feels like, why would I draft Andy Diaz? I can pick him up in week three. And the reality is he's much better than that. So I think it's somewhere in the middle. But if he's going off as like the 25th third baseman, you said, taking him 23rd, uh, that's pretty good. Like, like, don't take him 13th, but, like, much closer to his ADP. Uh, so, obviously, where anybody would take him. It's so a pretty good buy. Pretty good buy.
1: Yeah, and to, you know, a couple of your points, he was the Ray's best position player by a full win above replacement last year. Uh, better than a Rosarena. Obviously, Wander was hurt. Um, and he – the things that he – He's going to grade out really well in uh, batting average and runs. You know, those aren't the stats that tend to get guys pushed up um, ADP alone. Like it, it is the the, power, the lack of power, lack of speed um, and the lack of, you know, that monster upside. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like it. I, I kind of like uh, I like third base. In the kind of the back half of of drafts, uh, the more drafts I do. Um, but if you, I mean, I just like I like Yandi, I like uh, Mancata. Um, there's probably a few others, but also you can't just assume you'll get one of your preferred options if you wait. But um, yeah, third base not it's not a waste. Not,
2: do not reach for any position uh, because you're worried you're not. Uh, uh, I have to get one of the top X position why uh no you don't you can have the worst of that position as long as your team puts up enough stats you do not need any uh there's no there's no line that you have to be above it's one of the great myths of uh, fantasy baseball
1: yeah in a 15 team league especially your one of your starting position players isn't going to be very good at least um so uh, Here's a fun question. I was going to tailor this question around a specific player, but I thought it'd be more fun um, to see if we came up with the same player or a similar <laughs> player. Uh, so the question is, uh, who will be this year's Byron Buxton? And by that I mean goes much higher, like kind of inexplic- inexplicably goes much higher in those late March drafts, sort of out of nowhere, than he was going the whole drafting season leading up to then? Because, I, I mean, obviously you were there. There was just sort of a, a Byron Buxton buzz going through the the conference room on that Saturday in Vegas for the main event of just sort of, where did he go in this draft? Where did he go in that draft? Because all of a sudden people showed up to Vegas and decided Buxton was going to be the their ticket to the main event title. But uh, who who is a, a player that could be this year's Buxton where all of a sudden we show up to those Vegas drafts. And he's just going way higher than he was before then.
2: Uh, easy, easy, easy call for me. So it would be freaky if we landed on the same guy, uh, Corbin Carroll. I think Corbin Carroll is going to go. Uh, if he shows up and is as sexy at spring training and is going to play every single day, they're not platooning him. They're obviously not sending him down to manage uh, his uh, service time. Uh, I could see, I, I don't think there's any ceiling on how high Corbin Carroll, I don't think he's literally going to go in the first round this year, but I think Corbin Carroll will be nowhere near where he is. And he's obviously already going pretty early, but I think he's going to be much, much earlier. I think people will have dreams of Julio in their minds and they will uh, pay up. And then the next day when people see what the new min price is, they will go even higher. And then the next day they will go even higher and he could easily be a solid second round pick uh, by Vegas, which sounds crazy. Um, uh, but, um, but here we are.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good call. Uh, you're probably right. I think it, it's probably more likely to be your guy than my guy. Uh, and I would, I feel very comfortable taking Carroll high and it's sort of been an ADP game for me in these drafts. Um, so I'll be fascinated to see where Carroll goes and, and how he doesn't spring training leading up to that all Will definitely play a role. Uh, my guy also sort of hinges on what he does in the spring, and he happens to be going one pick behind Carroll in ADP uh, of those recent draft champions I've been citing, and that's O'Neill Cruz. Oh yeah.
2: Uh,
1: just you know, you know how this goes. You know how the highlights of O'Neill Cruz and spring training are going to go, um, and he's. 27 plate
2: appearances in he's only struck out two times he's fixed he's fixed things
1: right right the Uh you know he'll have a strikeout rate in the you know low 20s or whatever and uh, you know by far the biggest exit velocity of anyone in in uh, great fruit league play and uh, maybe he's running wild uh, on the bases and um, that could that could be interesting um. The,
2: the the similarity between the two of them is, and they're both obviously crazy talented, and both potential both potential first round players. So I'm not I'm not. Uh, it sounds like I'm uh, poo pooing uh, either of them. Uh, I know we have a PG uh, podcaster, so I'll use poo. I'm allowed to say poo poo on, on the road away. Oh, you, uh, you can you can say whatever you want. <laughs> uh, but um, both of those picks if they have helium and i think o'neill cruz is a great call um but but corbin carroll or o'neill cruz it's fomo it's like i can't miss out on these guys i have to get them and it doesn't matter what i have to do i have to get them on my team like i i don't want to look stupid by missing out on this and in life in business and in fantasy baseball decisions being driven by fomo almost always are wrong like you 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 Uh, Make so many poor decisions when that is what's driving your uh, decision making, which again is not a knock on either player. Both players are tremendous players uh, with potential flaws, just to be clear. Uh, Corbin Carroll's power may not be quite there yet. Everybody says, of course, he's going to hit 20. May, May not and O'Neill Cruz, everybody knows what what the downside is, but I absolutely can see the FOMO in March uh, driving people towards crazy things they don't think they're gonna to wanna to do right now. Luckily, we're too smart to follow <laughs> <Yeah>. for that <laughs> change, right? <Yeah>. Not us. <laughs> not us, those other dummies <laughs> who are coming to the NFBC, mean they may do it, but not us.
1: Let's see who these suckers <laughs> are gonna reach for. It'll yeah, exactly. Mark, and we'll, we'll collect our cash. Um, All of the money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay, so this final question before we get to 20th round ADP, um, I was going to ask you if Oswald Peraza might be this year's Jeremy Pena, but you thought of another pros- another shortstop prospect yeah. who I've always sort of thought was sort of a, a light version of Oswald Peraza. And so it, I think it's just kind of perfect that we were both sort of thinking of this year's Jeremy Pena and came up with two very similar shortstop prospects. And, and your guys, Michael Garcia, uh, much less uh, fame and fanfare, uh, especially lately. I know Peraza sort of seems to be kind of a hot name out there, um, but I think it's I think it's still you know Parraza is going higher than Pena was last year, but not he's still not going that high. And Garcia probably fits the Pena comp a bit better, just in the sense that he's going really late right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, Why don't you sort of start with Garcia and sort of what you... Yeah, find
2: you know, look, look, people come to this podcast, James, to get my take on prospects. Uh, that's why most people are, are tuning in right now. And for the for those who don't know, I was very high on Peña, higher than James last year. James, who knows prospects and studies prospects, me, who, who does not. Uh, and Peña last year was my this year's Jonathan India. Um, as of today, uh, Michael Garcia, for those who don't know uh, who he is, he's a middle infielder on Kansas City. Um, he doesn't have a job as of today. So that is the big difference between him and Jeremy Pena was at this point last year already. Pena was really the only option Houston had on their roster to play shortstop. That's not uh, the, the case with Peraza. Obviously there's, there's a, a my understanding is there's a decent prospect on the Yankees who also could play shortstop, uh, this, uh, year. And it's certainly not the case with Garcia. He, so the similarities, he has a very good glove. So he's a good fielding infielder. That's one of the things I liked about Jeremy Pena was his glove could, could carry him. Even if the bat took a little bit of time, he probably has more speed than Pena has probably has a little bit less power. So one of the questions about, uh, Garcia was, does he hit for enough power? His power is starting to develop in the minors. He just had a really good winter league uh, campaign in Venezuela uh, this year. I don't know if he was the MVP, but he like he, he had a really good uh, winter uh, league where he was hitting for a little bit of uh, power. Uh, last year he went 11 home runs, 39 stolen bases across all levels. So he has serious uh, speed. He is the better version of uh, Alberto Mondesi. Like he is what people close their eyes and thought Mondesi was going to be. He's that without like the giant warts that Mondesi had. How does he get his playing time? Well, Hunter Dozier is their third baseman right now. I just don't believe that this team that's going nowhere is going to give 600 plate appearances to Hunter Dozier. So maybe Witt moves back to third base and and Garcia plays shortstop. Massey is their second baseman. Maybe it's Garcia who's their second baseman they have like two pylons in the outfield right now. So like, there's a lot of different paths to, to um, Garcia coming out of spring training. And he's the kind of guy like Pena. And then I'll stop. um, Who's like an electric guy that you can tell all the other players really like. So I think if he gets a bit of momentum and starts playing well in spring training, it's not crazy for me that he breaks camp with a starting job. If he does that, then I think, like, a 10-25 season is a good enough, like, hit tool that I think 250 is reasonable. But, like, 10-25, 250 from a free player is pretty good. Like, that'll play for you in your fantasy league. So that's that's my pick because there's there's easy ones, right? Like, Von Grissom is easy. Uh, Ezekiel Tavar is easy. Even Bryce Terang, Like, there's a lot of middle infielders who kind of fit this profile with various costs right now. So I I haven't landed on my actual Jeremy Pena because I need to know who has jobs. But there are a lot of candidates this year, like the good year for that kind of profile of a bit of power, a bit of speed out of young middle infielders.
1: Yeah, so Garcia uh, going in the 45th round of draft champions right now. uh, On average, obviously, wide swings there. But um, I agree with – I might be – a little lower than you in terms of, you know, you're probably right. Like 10 homers is probably, or 15, 10, 15 is probably a like, you can hope for that and accept that it might be a little lower than that, especially in that park. Uh, I think 25 steals is totally reasonable if the player appearances are there. And I definitely agree with you. Uh, Hunter Dozier and Michael Massey shouldn't be blocking anyone, especially someone who is a – Good defensive shortstop who can hit a little, uh, so I I buy it. Um, I you know that he's not going to go like he's not going to be as valuable as Jeremy Pena was this year, but um, he's he's a really good value where he's going, or he could be a really good value where he's going.
2: To, to be clear, Jeremy Pena was not going to be as valuable as Jonathan India last year either. So you never know what's going to happen uh, with these kids, James. Well. I would, I, I would like to know, uh, cause I think,
1: yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jonathan India last year was sort of what I thought Jonathan India would be two years ago. Yeah. Um,
2: but, by the way, if we want to talk about the thing, the players projections are getting wrong. I think Jeremy Pena projections are getting wrong. I think they're way too conservative on him. Just look at his numbers before the injury. Uh, after he came back too soon from the injury, and then in September, October, and the playoffs, and it's a tale of three seasons, and you never want to go too far with that and try to break up the season to tell a story that happens to agree with your pre-existing biases. Uh, but I uh, feel quite confident that next year we're going to look back on the projections for Jeremy Pena and say they were way too conservative on him.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you about Pena. And on Peraza, I would, I would pretty much echo a lot of the traits you were talking about with uh, Garcia. Um, I just think he's better at everything, um, just like a a little bit better at everything. And uh, you know, they're going to be hit. They're both going to probably hit bottom third of their lineup at least until they force the issue to move up and. Uh, I think Peraza is a lot closer to Volpe as a prospect than most people think. And so I'm not, you know, if Peraza is not performing well after April and May, then someone could come and take his job. Um, maybe kind of, maybe, you know, the Yankees just piss everyone off and give Aaron Hicks and kind of a bunch of playing time early and, Aswell, Peraza ends up on waivers in some leagues. You know that's that's probably the case for stopping this crazy ascent that he's seeing in ADP because it it'll get to a point where, you know, you might have to drop this guy first week of the season and you're taking him as like a clear starter for you. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm I'm buying Peraza. I'm buying the skills. I buy that he is, and he's a better defensive shortstop than Volpe. And so I just I think he's going to take that job and. And kind of put his stamp on it, and Volpe's going to have to find a way to to, to fit in at, at third base or at second base, or if they trade someone. But um, I think Peraza can take the job and run with it as long as the Yankees don't go into the spring with the intention of starting the year with kind of Falefa in that role. Um, do you have any Do you have any Peraza thoughts?
2: Yeah. I think, I think if, if you, if you could guarantee me, he has, uh, that he plays 140 games. I think he's a pretty easy 15, 20. And even with his price going up, um, my best case, like 15, 20 from his price is tremendous. Um, and worst case scenario, I have to waive him after one week and be streaming a middle infielder. Um, I can live with that. Um, if I was drafting now, which I don't do, I would make sure I have a like a DC. I would make sure that I'm not counting on the plate appearances that he's an upside player, or that I back him up pretty quickly. Um, but if you if you guaranteed me that he's going to play 140, 145 games, I think like he he is by definition a better candidate to be John India, um, Jeremy Pena uh, than uh, than anybody else because I think 15, 20 is uh, eminently reasonable for him
1: yeah, there are more there are more speed flyers going in the second half of drafts this year that I actually like than last year. Um,
2: theres there's no doubt. We may even talk about one or two of them in around twenty. Uh, <laughs> this is called foreshadowing in the business, uh, James. but uh, but yeah, I, I absolutely agree. They they they're not just um, speed flyers. they're speed. They're. It, it's not like I'm taking Gerard Dyson uh, or Billy Hamilton uh, or Miles Straw Billy, the, or Miles. Well, Miles Straw was an elite pick last yeah, year. Yeah, he wasn't last a fly. I uh, forget. But but like there is such a big difference between um, a 20 stolen base guy um, who has a realistic chance at 12 to 16, like 15 to 17 home runs. So is far from a zero. In this home run environment, if you assume the twenty twenty two environment is the same as this year, as a Gerard Dyson who has no path, or, or or a John Birdie, frankly, who has no path to any real power, like these are guys who could. And this is the thing with a lot of these guys: if you could guarantee the playing time, like these are easy top hundred players because um, they're also not total batting average sinks. Like they may not they, they may not be hitting two eighty, but they're not hitting two hundred either. Well, that's the definition of five category guy, even if they're hitting seventh or eighth in the lineup. Not ideal, but you can live with a couple of guys late like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, is, is, since I brought Miles Straw up and that was another one of your great calls from last, last year's pod, uh, is, does Jake McCarthy fit under that OPS rule? Um,
2: I don't think so. I think McCarthy is seen as McCarthy's a much better, he's better. a, he's a, he's, an, he's a legit, um, average hitter and therefore I I, like I'm not going into drafts necessarily with a McCarthy strategy um which depending on your historical references uh lots (laughs) of different things uh but uh but no I I don't I I he's nowhere close to the kind of fade that that a Miles straw uh was in terms of he's gonna lose uh his job all
1: right uh Robin. It's much
2: more of an issue. Sorry, just to finish on McCarthy. The bigger issue there is just it's a crowd. There's a lot of mouths to be uh, fed there, so it's not that I think he's going to lose his job. I worry that he's not going to get 600 plate appearances, and he's going to have part of the job just because there's a lot of guys there still.
1: All right. I, uh, I do not have any Jake McCarthy yet, um, and I, did, I didn't I did take a ton of miles straw last year, but I, I did have a couple shares. So, um uh, Live to live to regret that one, but uh, we, we move on to round 20th ADP. Uh, every week we've been going through, uh, me and a guest, um, from the 10th round on or the 11th round on, actually, and we're, we're now in round 20. Uh, Rob and I are each going to pick a, a player that we're buying in the 20th round and a player that we're fading at that cost. And so, here are the 15 players going in the 20th round of NFBC draft champions leagues, uh, Austin Meadows, Garrett Whitlock, Jared Kelnick, Spencer Torkelson, Manuel Margot, Jorge Soler, Evan Phillips, Eric Haas, Jake Fraley, Trent Grisham, Matt Mervis, Craig Kimbrell, uh, Luis Garcia of the Nationals, Chris Taylor, and Dylan Carlson. And uh, people who listened to last week's episode will know that Matt Mervis was in the 19th round a week ago. So. Uh, you can tell you, you can tell how quickly his <laughs> yeah. his ADP is uh, plummeting. Um, so, uh, you know, I, if you really want to make a strong case against Mervis here, go for it. But I assume we'll pick more. I, more I, I will not. Obviously. That was
2: that was that was cheap. But I honestly, James, I like like five or six of the hitters here. So why don't you go first for the like guy, and I'll go first for the fade uh, guy because I can go in in multiple directions yeah. in terms of who I like uh, here.
1: Sure. So. Uh, I also like a couple of these hitters. Uh, I'm going to – so I'll I'll go with Manuel Margot as my buy here. Uh, Kind of what we were talking about a few minutes ago, you know, cheap five-ish category production. Um, You're not getting – you know, you're not getting a full five categories from Margot, but he's not – it's not gonna hurt your average. I think he gets you double digit steals pretty easily. I think he's the you know, is he the Rays' best outfielder? Um I mean he was playing better than a Rays arena for, for before he got hurt last year, but um, you know, we'll call him their second best outfielder. Uh and so I I believe in the playing time for Margot um to the extent you can believe in a in a ray's player's playing time. Um so I just I think he's a nice he's a nice roster build piece here. Um, with the playing time and the, the speed, uh, but who's, who's your buy?
2: Uh, like I said, I have a bunch of guys I like here. So some I'll, I'll I assume in real drafts will be taken in, you know, 17th, 18th, 19th rounds. Cause why, why wouldn't I? Uh, the guy I'll talk about though is Chris Taylor. Um, Chris Taylor was a top like 80 player in 2021, a top hundred player in 2020 in the short uh, season for his career he's averaged 17 home runs 13 stolen bases 256 average per 162 games he obviously had a miserable season uh, last year but he is a great bounce back uh, candidate on a Dodgers team where especially with his position flexibility he can obviously play center field if they need him to be a center fielder he can play everywhere basically uh, for the Dodgers he is the perfect kind of complementary piece that gives you a bit of power, a bit of speed, a batting average that won't kill you. And I think he's, if he's healthy, likely to play every day because they just don't have the depth that they've had uh, previously. But I think he's also good. So I don't, I'm not just saying that kind of lazy, like oh, who else are they going to play? I'd say that about Jake Frehley. Uh, who else are they going to play? I think with Chris Taylor, they actually want to play him on a still a very good uh, Dodgers uh uh, team, so my pick uh, will be Chris Taylor. I think he's a real nice value as a complimentary piece on a fantasy team, uh, whether a DC or a, a, a Fab League at this kind of price.
1: Yeah, Chris Taylor, eligible at outfield and second base. Uh, I think he went to driveline this winter uh, to try to improve his uh, his bat speed um, and exit velocity. So,
2: do you adjust for guys who go to driveline? Do you like to buy into like a Uh, driveline bump?
1: I, well, if somebody, so like Eno hit me up um, last year to sort of tell me about Lars Newtbar going to driveline and about some sort of tangible differences. Sure. Uh, So that, that got me excited about, about Newtbar Uh, just, Reading a article and a on a website telling me someone went to Driveline, uh, isn't going to take me from out to in. But I think with a guy like Taylor, i'd I'd rather he go to Driveline than not go to Driveline.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's so. interesting. I, I I saw some quotes about him talking about going to Driveline, and it was all framed in the way of him being like the anti analytics, doing advanced right. stuff. And going to driveline shows he has an open mind sure. and is willing to adjust. I'm not sure that's uh, true. It would be fascinating to see a study. Like if you could get a list, a definitive list of everybody who's gone to driveline over the last decade, look at their like steamer projection and see if to what extent guys exceed their projected WOBA or, uh, fall short of it, or if it's just a random uh, distribution and it's no different from the general population. Anyways, I like, I like, I like him regardless of whether, how he worked out this uh, off season.
1: That story about him wanting to, or not being an analytics guy and like kind of wanting to check it out, reminded me of when Mike Matheny got hired by the Royals and was uh, talking about all the, all the like work he's been doing on studying yeah. analytics and stuff since he got fired. Um, from the Cardinals, but
2: I guess my guess is if it's good enough for Clayton Kershaw, it's good enough uh, for him. It's like, yes, eh, Clayton Kershaw is willing to suck it up and go to drive line. Who am I to say no? All right, so now
1: you got to go first with a fade from this. Uh, yeah, last and last again, last I like I
2: like most of the guys here. Uh, I'll t- I want to talk to K- about Kellenick unless he's your fade uh, afterwards. because I'm curious on your take on him. He's not sure. my fade. That, that feels too lazy. Uh, my fade is to make a point is uh, Eric Hos. Um, in the sense that um, I think the difference between Haas here and the 20th and the catcher you get, and I get this is DC uh, ADP. I'm talking more for live uh, events, with for fab events. Um, And the the catcher you get for free in the 29th to 30th round isn't enough to give up on the player that I can get on on a young who I'm not getting in the 30th round. So it's not that I dislike Haas so much. I just don't think he's giving you enough of a push at catcher as opposed to just streaming crappy catchers until you land on somebody that he's worth using a 20th pick which is still a really important pick uh, to me. To me, he's really interchangeable with a lot of other catchers going much later. So he's my fade here. Don't take a catcher right here unless it's a catcher that you really think is helping you. And I'm just not convinced he is.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think uh, Haas would have been my fade too. 100 um, percent agree with everything you said. Uh, I'll pivot over to uh, Nationals, Luis Garcia here.
2: Uh, I didn't know which Garcia it was, so I was uh, I was too sheepish to ask which Garcia <laughs> are we talking about at this point. So I couldn't even consider him for my fade because I just didn't know who we were which who we were talking about here. Sorry, Luis Garcia.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, it's just it's a. Uh, just such a boring profile to me. Um, terrible team. So on the one hand, his playing time should be kind of safe, but I just think even in a best case scenario, the runs in RBI are going to be really bad. Um, there's not a ceiling here. Like the the ticket to him having ceiling is him hitting 300 or something like that, but it's not via home runs. He He's just, he doesn't hit the ball hard enough and consistent enough to, to have a power spike this year. Uh, and he's not going to run much at all. So, uh, just not a guy I would want in a middle infield spot. Um, with, if you're not going to run that much at middle infield in this stage of the draft, I'm just not that
2: interested. There's so many good middle infielders. Uh, I know we're running, not like Rob to Pietro long, but we're running, uh, long, but I really was curious on your, uh, Jared Kalnick. uh, Uh, take as the, as the actual prospect guy, he's still so young, uh, so young. Like if he was coming, uh, if he hadn't made the majors for whatever reason, he's like, he could be on your prospect list uh, this year. Uh, And yet now he's dead because of what he's done. Do you have any hope for, for it to come together this year or not?
1: Uh, Well, I wouldn't, I definitely don't have the type of hope that would be leading me to sort of proclaim that it's gonna to come together or anything I would I would still bet against it coming together uh, but he's starting to kind of near the price where I think it makes some sense uh, you know the 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 batting average the strikeouts the aggressiveness the pitch recognition like all massive problems but even amid all those problems, He's got 21 homers and 11 steals in 147 games as a pro. So that, and that's with him being a terrible player and he's yes. still got the that power and speed. So uh, I think if, if he's going kind of in the mid 300s, I think he's worth picking at this point. Um, you know, in this range, like I don't see myself taking Kelnick over uh, Margot or Jorge Soler or, um, or even Jake Fraley, um, or Chris Taylor. So like, he's not quite going so late that I, that I would end up with him, but, you know, I might take him over like Dylan Carlson. Um,
2: <laughs> uh, so I, I, an interesting Jared Kelnick stat, um, Because he does have the 21 home runs and 11 uh, stolen bases, which, you know, if you you told me Jared Kelnick was going to get that in uh, 2023, that's pretty good. Um, So there have been 5,487 players in baseball history who have had at least 550 career plate appearances, according to Fangraphs. There may be some old-timey 1800s players that aren't in the Fangraphs uh, database, but Fangraphs has... 5,487 players with at least 550 played uh, appearance. Um, Jared Kelinek, and which Jared Kalanick is obviously one of them, uh, he currently ranks as the 103rd worst BABIP of the 5,487 uh, players. That's 1.9th percentile. Uh, said positively, 98.1% of players have a higher BABIP than Kalanick. So Kalanick has both been horrendous to start his uh, career. He's also been extremely unlucky. If you give Kalanick a league average batting, which was 290 uh, last year, um, his uh, batting average goes from 168 to 214. So that's not good enough. Like that doesn't work for us, 214. But at least if it's 214, his batting average right now, instead of 168, uh, if you just if you assume all the BABIP is luck, he's fast enough, like, I don't think there's any real reason to think it's not mostly luck. 214, then you're like, wow, if you can just reduce his strikeout rate by like 3-4%, suddenly he's like a 230 uh, hitter, and suddenly he's within range. So I'm not trying to be pro-Kelanick, but I do think you also have to appreciate that he's been terrible. There's been some positives and he's been really unlucky. He thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah. And, and I, you know, Trent Grisham's a guy going in this round and I think over the exact same amount of plate appearances, I think those guys would put up very similar lines and I might even take Kellinick for more power, maybe Grisham a bit more speed, but obviously you feel better about Grisham's playing time, at least early in the year. Um, and there's talk that Kellinick, you know, Kellinick, if you take Kellinick, uh, I think you should expect him to strong side platoon uh, early in the year, at least. They do have some guys they like to play against lefties uh, in the outfield. So, um, you know, I I was from being completely out on him last year. I, I know you were as well. He's starting to drop to the point where I, you know, he's he's kind of back on my radar.
2: Uh, I, I think the other reality if you're drafting Kalanick is he's a two for 23 with nine strikeouts away from being in the minors again. Like they're not, they're, they're, no, but I'm just, I'm being, being realistic is the Mariners are too competitive right now uh, to keep, to let him work it out at the majors. I think it would not surprise me if he has a bad spring that he starts in the minors. I don't think they're going to let him work it out anymore. I think he has to, he has nothing to prove, but at the same time, he hasn't proven anything at the majors. So I, I also think his downside is he's Joe Adele and he's just not good enough right now to play in the majors for better or for worse.
1: Yep. Yep. Um, definitely possible. So
2: let's, let's, let's end on that happy note there, James. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah, no, I uh, really appreciate you coming on, Rob. Um, can't wait to, to get some beers and, uh, the Mirage here in, uh, about six weeks. Oh, sure. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a blast. Uh, why don't you tell people about, uh, the, a podcast that's that's
2: getting started yeah back. like rob dipietro came onto your podcast last week announced to the world that he's our new host and jeff and i had really no choice at that point to, <laughs> to accept the fact that it's reality no we're uh uh we're back tomorrow so we're, we're recording right now for those listening uh, listening to the pod down the road we're recording on wednesday we are recording the first launch angle of 2023 with rob dipietro hosting us uh, on Thursday. So uh, check wherever. If you're subscribed to the launch angle, you are already subscribed to the new launch angle. If you have not subscribed to the launch angle, check set It'll be a lot of fun. Thanks and
1: so much, it, will not
2: be, it will not be six hour pods. Uh, I, we have two hour gaps. So Rob's going to really have to adjust his style uh, for us. And I know we've gone pretty, pretty long now. Uh, so I, I, I'm i a bit of a hypocrite. I know I, I spoke for like 92% of the time uh here but uh but we're gonna keep it tight once we go to launch. i got it all out of my system today so tomorrow (laughs) i have nothing left
1: oh man i i'm I'm so uh thankful that you you took so much time and and shared so many good uh thoughts and uh just love chatting with you whenever i can so uh hopefully see you here in a in about a month and a half and uh my friend for sure Thanks, buddy. All we right, we'll be right, uh, I'll be back next week with uh, another guest, and uh, the pod continues on. We're back to five days a week, so uh, stay tuned for more Road to Wire Fantasy Baseball podcasts brought to you by Underdog Fantasy and Fantrax.
3: Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement.